You are listening to The Current Podcast, the official podcast of UC San Diego's IT Services Department. I'm your host, Miguel Rodriguez. Today is Wednesday, June 7th. It's finals week. Good luck to all students and especially our department student staff with their exams. Graduation is the weekend. And congratulations, of course, to the entire class of 2022. But let's get right into our interview. Please welcome back our CIO, Vince Kellen. This is Mark Herzberger, Communications Manager. Today I'm joined by our Chief Information Officer, Vince Kellen. Vince, welcome back to the pod. How are you? Welcome and happy June. Time flies, as we were just discussing uh, offline Yeah, so June, end of the school year, if you were to think back uh, as far as what IT services has accomplished, you know, since September up till now, what are some of the highlights that stand out for you? Oh, my goodness. Uh, Many highlights. Um, You know, I think, again, the second year of COVID and our reaction, everything we did to improve infrastructure across the teaching and the network infrastructure Wi-Fi was just really good. Yeah, we had a little bit of a hurdle there with some of the things we had to do with Cisco, but Cisco actually came through that pretty good as well. So I'm very happy with all of that. So kudos to all the teams who worked like mad to make that happen. I can't say enough about that. The uh, Certainly the area of continued finance system stabilization has gone really well, and we're now shifting into optimization. So had some conversations with Pierre, and uh, we now need to grow into our systems And so I think over the next year, we'll be entering into this optimization stage. Uh, So I'm very happy with that. I'm happy with a lot of the automation that ITS has been doing to itself. And I applaud that. I encourage us to, again, spend the rest of this next academic year looking inward into our unit and continuing to apply improvement automation, try to do, uh, you know, get as many things automated as possible to free up time for ourselves. So ITS working on itself for the year is kind of the mission. So I thought last year was a great year. And now we're going to enter this living with COVID for the long haul uh, stage, which will be kind of interesting. Yeah, that's been on my mind, you know, living with COVID. You know, I think case numbers just nationally, regional are probably higher than most people would assume. But I don't think COVID is really at the forefront of people's minds anymore. So what does living with COVID mean to you? A lot of it has to do with your age. And, you know, the older you get, the more you're going to probably have issues or complication. And not that I'm that old, because I feel like I'm 28. So I'm going to continue to believe that, but I got to look at the data. Mm-hmm. And so for many of us, it's watching the large group interactions where this typically happens. We now have a couple of friends who've had COVID a couple of times now. My sister finally got it, and she had a little bit of a hearing loss because of it. And so now you're hearing those stories and going, hmm. Right. But I think humankind is going to have to adapt and adjust to the coming next few years of COVID. And in time, uh, we'll see how the virus survives and mutates and what it does. I think the scientists are pretty confident that the balance between spreadability and mortality, this is about as optimized as one could get as a virus, which means it's probably not going to be more virulent. In fact, the latest uh, variants are less virulent than the earlier ones but they spread certainly quicker. So from my standpoint, I think, you know, downtown's busy. There's a lot of activity going on. I heard commercial real estate's busy. So companies are bringing people back to their offices. Many companies are still staying hybrid or remote. 
And so I think we're entering a new normal. To me, it's not too much like the old new normal unless you loved going to bars a lot. <laughs> now, if you like going to bars a lot and you're young, you're probably aided by your great immune system. And so you're probably not as concerned. But when you get into your upper years, you're probably getting a little more cautious. For you, what's been the trickiest part of navigating the age of COVID the last couple of years? <laughs> well, since my wife and I are very different, it's realizing that as the beloved introvert that I am, that not everybody's like me. Mm. So, you know, I'm going it through COVID going, yoo-hoo, this is great. <laughs> Everyone's leaving me alone. I can my, be a hermit yeah. without any, you know. Yeah. And my wife is like, oh my gosh, there was no human contact. And so finding the balance mm -hmm. as a group and getting, you know, if you're part of a family, what's the balance with your family? If it's a work situation, what's the balance between the, you know, the virtual and the face-to-face? -face? So the phrase I'm using is we have the opportunity to have the best of both worlds. Let's be the leaders in designing the best of both worlds. And I suppose for, you know, the cabinet and leadership as they make decisions, you know, if campus has to close again or go remote more accurately, I suppose that's sort of case by case, watch the data, but... What is there such that you can report their mindset on what they expect, you know, for the next yeah. school year starting in September and October? Yeah, for the next school year, it's, it's obviously watching the numbers in LA mm -hmm. and San Francisco and San Diego tends to be a little bit muted compared to those two. I know in LA, UCLA, they have a mask mandate inside oh. buildings now. We're not doing that here based on the data, but, you know, part of me is sort of thinking that we're not going to see a shutdown because the acceleration of this spread is nowhere near the acceleration of the prior spreads. Mm -hmm. So it's a very slow climb up. So this is all new for scientists, new for us. I don't see necessarily a whole lot of change, except maybe we'll go back, you know, we'll have masks for classes again, but to be determined, we're just going to have to watch it. Right now we're holding our posture on our protocols and then just going to watch the data and see how it goes for the fall. How much time are you spending back on campus these days? I'm back about one day a week now. In fact, I'm on campus today here, and I'm probably going to come back to roughly two, one to two days a week. It really depends on the schedule. Our cabinet meetings tend to be in person, and they're on Mondays, so I'm certainly in on Mondays. But so much of our group here is virtual, too, so that's great, too. You know, I like working from home as much as I like coming to campus, so mm -hmm. to me, it's like a best of both worlds. When you're back on campus... What feels the same as, you know, the end of 2019, maybe? And, and what feels different? Uh, it feels pretty much the same for me in my role because it's cabinet meetings and then one-on-ones with different executives here and there. The virtual has been really good, though, for us because so many of my peers are spread across campus. So we're like, okay, I don't have to walk over. We could just pop in on Zoom and or Teams. And so I think, again, getting this best of both worlds dialed in. All right, let's change topics real quick. It's June, sort of winding down the current budget year. What's the status of our IT services department budget heading towards July 1? Yeah, July 1, no cuts at all. So pretty much the same as last year. Nationwide, as you know, virtually every university is seeing decrease enrollments. And here at UC San Diego, we're very isolated from that. We have tremendous potential growth of enrollment to our heart's content basically. So for the next decade, I don't think we're going to see any enrollment challenges at all. Right. And from what I've been reading, it sounds like the California budget overall has some substantial increases for higher education. How do you see that trickling down, if at all, to us in IT services or UC San Diego? Yeah, for the campus as a whole, just about two-thirds of it is going right into the salaries, so the increases. 
And so that takes a whole lot right off the table. And the others are going into probably investments in some of our new units. From an ITS standpoint, it's, you know, the uptick in our software licenses as the places grow, that gets covered based on institutional growth. So less of an impact to ITS, but that's very appropriate. You know, the funding is going to be disproportionate to the educational mission, uh, where it needs to be, actually. So from a UC San Diego standpoint, we are in very solid shape. We still have extra costs due to COVID that is now, you know, racking up in terms of costs. So some mm -hmm. of the funding will help offset that. I think those COVID costs are likely to stay around, you know, float down a little bit, but then float back up, but certainly be higher than it was pre-pandemic. I mean, those costs are like testing availability and time Absolutely, off, like yeah. That. Yeah, and payment of the labs because the labs don't necessarily make money on this. You know, all the infrastructure needed to support all of that. Okay. I'm just always interested. What's the budget process like for you? I know it goes on for several months. Yeah, the budget process is... The university gets together and tries to set the budget for the next year and then allocates funds appropriately. And then everybody tries to live underneath those allocations. It's an important discipline. It's a severely important discipline. And so the university does it every year, which I think is good. It'd be nice to do it every two years, but every year is fine for me. For us, it's re-examining everything, seeing where we think we could grow. So it creates a lot of conversation, a lot of scrutiny over different items of expense and potential revenue. So all of that uh, gets considered. I think it's a very, very healthy organizational process to do, mm -hmm. even if it is effortful and time-consuming. Yeah. It forces one to critically evaluate the resources that you get from the multiple sources, of which a bunch of it is from taxpayers. And to make sure we're being very, very prudent uh, with all that spend. Okay. Switching topics again slightly. In my five years in IT services, I've heard a lot about the idea of a digital transformation. So I just wanted to get maybe from your point of view, what does that even mean, digital transformation? And where are we on that pathway of transformation? Yeah, digital transformation to me is, is a very bad phrase. I'm not a fan of it at all. Okay. And it seems a little late, actually. What it tends to mean is for everybody who didn't take advantage of the internet and all of its technologies in 2000, they're now taking advantage of it now 22 years later. Mm -hmm. So it smacks to me of a laggard response. Having grown up in my professional life in the internet realm where, you know, in my 30s, we're growing our company on the backs of the internet and helping other companies grow their business using the internet. The application of new technologies was always near and dear to my heart at every step of my career. And so I viewed the digital transformation as everybody who didn't do that finally waking up and saying, oh gosh, maybe we need to do this. In higher education, it's a very complex equation because so much of our interactions are face-to-face, -face, students to instructors, patients to caregivers. So much of it is not, it can be virtual. So I view the phrase digital transformation as more of how do we take advantage of automation, advanced technology in order to improve what we do? Mm -hmm. We're not so much transforming, meaning changing something into a brand new state that it wasn't before. We are enriching and extending and enhancing our core competencies uh, and bringing them forward. So I think an industry where people were afraid of being eliminated, companies were afraid of being eliminated by competition. Mm -hmm. That certainly was the case in the early noughts at the birth of the internet. It has settled down quite a bit in industry. 
So digital transformation is really more about the application of automation technology and other advanced analytics and techniques in order to improve what we do. What do you think would be a better phrase then to describe maybe the changes that we've seen at IT services, for example, since you started a couple of years ago? I would say business improvement, mm-hmm. you know, improvement of what we do, of which automation and technology is a piece of it. I don't even use the phrase, so I don't think there's a replacement phrase. If you say we're going to digitally transform, that's like saying, I'm going to buy a golf club. If you say, I would like to learn how to play golf, that's a different proposition. Then you say, okay, I'm going to buy a golf club because I want to learn how to play golf. And so you always think, what are we doing with the technology? Well, we'd like to do more processing of calls with less effort. Great. Let's see what we can apply. So I would call it just optimization, business improvement, enhancement of our services. Yeah, you mentioned automation a couple of times. What are some of the you know, concrete examples or, or some of the stuff that people are working on to make it a reality? Uh, well, for example, in our unit, as some may know, we're using automation to do testing. So rather than test with fingertips at a keyboard, we have scripts that memorize the testing sequence and go through the testing protocol in a robotic sort of way. Good use. Same technique can be used for testing and adding cybersecurity testing to our software development process. That's underway. There are forms that will be coming down the road for us where I think we can look at approvals and say, hey, you know, for this transaction, 99.8% of the time, everything's getting approved. Let's auto-approve and move to exception. Find the exceptions and flag the exceptions for review. Things like that, that will further streamline. I think all that should be led with Lean Six Sigma. So Lean Six Sigma should be the technique we use to go at that. But I think there's lots of little things like that in virtually every area. You know, So if you think of how we build, for example, our data warehousing, if we do a certain thing over and over again, how do we automate that so I don't have to do it over and over again? Mm-hmm. Okay. We're doing this recording June 1st. I think it's 10th week of the classes. So you know, for the Kellen family, any summer vacation plans or summer plans on the horizon for you? My wife and I are, are heading to Chicago to catch up with some of her family there. And then also my son is taking a job with PricewaterhouseCoopers, PwC in Chicago. So we'll meet him as he moves into his apartment up there. So that's pretty much it for my wife and I. This past winter, we were able to get to Mammoth Mountain twice and all to once to go skiing. Big passion of ours. We both were ski instructors in our past Mm -hmm. and skied, you know, since we've known each other, skied together. So we've got a chance to get out and we're looking forward to trying to do more of that next year. There's nothing to do with summer, but on previous pods too, you've mentioned the skiing, but I also know you're from Chicago area. Yep. No mountains there that I'm aware of, no geography no. majors. How did you get into skiing in the first place? <laughs> well, my wife, I met my wife before we were married and she said, if you want to hang with me, dude, you got to learn how to ski. And oh. so she got me when I was motivated and then uh, started to ski and shortly thereafter became a ski instructor, found myself proficient at skiing and was a ski instructor for about five years. She was a ski instructor for 29 years. For How'd she get into it? Is she from a ski well, in Chicago, there's a place just across the border in Wisconsin called Wilmot Mountain. Okay. And in fact, a recently retired head of the highest level of ski instructors in the country, the what they call the US PSA D team, he's been the lead examiner. And he mm-hmm. came from Wilmot Mountain in okay. Wisconsin. So it's a little tiny hill, 300 vertical feet, where you value every turn. But a great number of top skiers have learned on hills just like that. Okay. I'm going to look that one up. I learn something every day. Yeah, Wilmot Mountain just crossed the border. It's now owned by uh, Vale and Associates. Oh, okay. 
Well, I didn't think we'd get into a big skiing talk here, but interesting and nevertheless, and we appreciate your latest visit to the current podcast. Thanks. Yeah, and good luck with everybody with the summer. Enjoy the summer, and then let's spend the next year improving ITS even further. Thank All right, you. thanks, Nips. I sure hope you're enjoying this podcast. Remember to let your fellow IT services staff members know that this podcast exists. Get everyone to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you can get your podcasts. This podcast is a collaborative effort, and we want to hear from you. If you have any ideas for podcasts or topics, send them to me at its-podcast at ucsd.edu. That's it for today. Keep an ear out for the next episode of The Current Daily.